It's Twin Bills, the Red Sox podcast from the sports department of the Providence Journal, featuring Red Sox beat writer Bill Koch, along with sports editor Bill Corey. Now, Twin Bills. Hello and welcome to this week's Twin Bills Red Sox podcast. This is Bill Corey. I'm in downtown Providence. I'm the sports editor of the Providence Journal. With me is Bill Koch, the uh, Red Sox beat writer. Although he's not in studio, uh, he is in lovely Manhattan this morning. Bill, how are uh, how are things in New York? Bill, things are great here. I think uh, you know. Just trying to remember, this might be the first split squad edition of the Twin Bills. We're making history today. <laughs> That's right. That's right. It's like spring training. One of us is here, and one of us is uh, is a couple hours away. Uh, so That's you, right. you are in New York because that is where the Red Sox are. Um, they open a what is now a three game series, and I guess it rained pretty good there last night. I was surprised. You know, you sent me a text and said, "Hey, they just." postpone the game and you know where I was it was you know cloudy and misty a little bit but I guess it was uh, a lot worse down in New York they made a really good decision to yeah. postpone um, you know in the afternoon it was sort of gray and overcast but not necessarily raining yet the forecast for later in the evening was not good uh, the Red Sox actually took some batting practice on the field they were out there at about 5 30 uh, and within a half hour, oh, wow, it that started quick. to rain, and wow. you know maybe maybe around six thirty or so, some really really heavy precipitation uh, rolled through the Bronx, and you know the rain probably lasted here you know, right up until about midnight. So a, a very good decision by the Yankees to postpone. Uh, the game will be made up as part of a day night doubleheader on August third, which I believe is a Saturday. Right. Well, it, the Red Sox could probably use the uh, the day off. Um, you know, they had a couple of uh, uh, one very long game, um, both losses before they had headed down to New York against Cleveland. And as you wrote this morning here, uh, Bill, in, in this morning's journal, you know, um, time is kind of ticking away here at, for the Red Sox. Not that they won't be in the postseason. That you think that they that they'll still grab at least a, a wild card. But this is a very pivotal um, series for them against the, the uh, division-leading Yankees. Uh, as I uh, looked at my standings this morning, the Red Sox are sitting uh, seven and a half games behind first place New York. Tampa Bay is half a game behind in second place. Uh, and if if uh, the Red Sox do not have a good weekend down there, you, we may be just talking about uh, wild card consideration. Yeah, just in terms of competing for the division, you're going to leave yourself with a lot of work to do if you're the Red Sox and you get swept this weekend. Uh, you'd be ten and a half games behind. I think that'd be eleven games in the loss column. Uh, and just you know, doing the math really quickly, which is what I did in in my piece today, mm. it leaves you with a really steep uphill climb. You would have to go. I think it was 72 and, and 31 or, or somewhere in that region uh, over the last 100 games to, to get to 100 wins, 101 wins. And you know, that's just playing really, really good baseball over an extended period, unlike what we've seen through the first 60 games from Boston. So I, I think that it's important that you know, not only you take one game here this weekend, you would like to take two um, in terms of the division to try and keep things manageable. In terms of the wild card, you have a limited amount of teams in the American League who are actually going to contend. If you take out the division leaders right now, those would be the Yankees, the Twins, and the Astros. Uh, You're really competing with the Rays, 
the A's and the Rangers. That that's probably right. your primary competition, uh, and and even those teams. Realistically, the Rangers might end up being sellers at the deadline. Uh, you know, someone like Cleveland might end up being a seller at the deadline. You know, Boston is not going to be selling at the deadline. They're going to be buying. They're sure. going to be trying to compete and to get into October. But you know, just in terms of the division. If they happen to lose three games in a row this weekend to the Yankees, you're giving yourself an awful lot to do over the last four months. Absolutely. And, you know, if they were playing the kind of baseball that they had been playing uh, last season, then you might say, well, you know, uh, it's not so uh, it's not such a, uh, a tall task, but they just have not been consistent. And to turn on uh, sort of the Jets and and catch the Yankees if they do, in fact, lose uh, three games down there this weekend, I think would be, uh, you know, it's not impossible, but I, I just, I don't see any uh, reason to believe the Red Sox could do that given what we've seen so far. And um, speaking of what we've seen so far, boy, what we saw Tuesday night in uh, in Fenway Park did not, uh, <laughs> did not bolster a lot of confidence. Uh, they had a they had a, a three-run lead in the ninth inning, and they ended up losing the game uh, to uh, to the Indians. And uh, boy, it was a, just a deflating loss, wasn't it? It was really ugly. Uh, you know, you have a five-two lead into the ninth. Um, you know, you figure you're going to win the series against Cleveland. Yep. Uh, you'd already won the first game on Monday, uh, and you're thinking you're, you're going to get on a nice roll here. Uh, you know, potentially sweep Cleveland uh, if you're able to win Wednesday and, and bring some real momentum into New York, and, and that just didn't happen. Uh, Ryan Brazier, who had had four good outings in a row, had retired 12 batters in a row in those previous four outings. He gives up home run, walk, home run. Uh, suddenly the game is tied. He gets extended. You have to bring in Travis Lakins because he's sort of the last man standing out there. Right. Uh, and he gives up the lead. And, and, you know, it was really – it was one of those spots where, you know, a lot of folks have pointed at the bullpen and said that that's a weakness for this team really for the last year and a half. Um, you know, and it sort of felt like, you know, those complaints reached a crescendo of sorts – on Tuesday with the Red Sox giving up a game in that fashion. So the question now going forward is what do they do? I mean, you know, Alex Cora is not one to uh, hit the panic button here, but, you know, is it um, just, you know, you ride that, you ride this out and say, well, it was a bad, it was just a bad outing by Brazier, uh, or do you think that they are talking about uh, addressing the back end of that bullpen? Now remember, you know, Craig Kimbrell is, is obviously still out there, um, and the draft pick compensation that uh, teams would have to deal with goes away, I believe, on Monday. So, you know, there's lots of talk that, you know, maybe they'll go out and, and sign Kimbrell to a short-term deal or a deal shorter than what he was initially asking for. But, you know, Kimbrell aside, do you think they, do you think they address the bullpen or do you think they keep going with what they got? I do think that eventually they'll make a move uh, for at least one more bullpen arm, if not two. Hmm. Um, you know, as I've said over the last couple of weeks, you look at the fact that most of the teams in the American League and in the National League are not genuinely trying to compete for playoff spots. As you get deeper into June and into July, they're going to be looking to sell. Right. Um, you look at some of the relievers who moved at the deadline last year, whether it was Brad Hand or Ryan Presley or Jaris Familia. Um, those are some quality arms there. You know, guys like that could all help Boston. 
at this point, uh, you know, some free agents to be out there right now. Some guys would be on the market in 2020. You're looking at the likes of Cody Allen and Sean Doolittle. Um, you know, there are a few other names that will pop up. Uh, I saw a report earlier this morning that the Red Sox have inquired on Alex Colome, uh, the closer for the White Sox. Right. Um, but I, I certainly think that you know, Alex Cora knows – that he'd probably like to have one more arm, but he's not going to say that. He's been very consistent in his approach uh, over the last year and a half since he's gotten the job, and that's a task for Dave Dombrowski to accomplish. And I think, uh, you know, Cora knows that and is respectful respectful of the fact that it's up to his executive, his boss, to get this done. Yeah. Well, I certainly hope that they do. I think that they need another bullpen arm. You know, I think that... um Barnes has been pretty good. Brazier has been, you know, kind of up and down. You know, pr- pretty good uh, until obviously Tuesday. Um, uh, Workman has been pretty good, although you know he walks more people than, than than you'd like. But you know, it's to me, it's it's telling that they just haven't named one guy as the closer. And I think the reason they haven't done that is because they really don't have one. They don't have that one guy. You know, I thought maybe Barnes would would sort of ascend to that role, and and he's still not quite that guy. And you know, I don't know if that means they go out and get a closer, or they get another bullpen arm and they make Barnes the closer or Brazier. But um, I think it's clear that they, you know, that they need somebody because, you know, th- th- that was a game right there that in a lot of ways they needed to have, and uh, on Tuesday night, and to lose it that way, and then obviously the what happened the next night, uh, you know, was. Was pretty was pretty bad as well, uh, you know, and so they they end up limping into New York here, really having to take at least one, you know, maybe two to sort of keep themselves alive in the division, and to uh, you know to not have a real closer uh, in in those kinds of situations. That's tough. I mean, you know. Um, Craig Kimbrell, for all his faults last year, I mean, he was on a streak there for a while where he really was pretty automatic and, you know, he kind of got a little dicey toward the end and in the playoffs. But at, uh, for the most part, you know, you, you, you got him into, that, into the games last year and he did his job for most of the season. And they, I just don't see that they have that guy this year. I think there, there are a couple things in play there. I, I think first, if you look back at last year and, and you look at some of the numbers, uh, Barnes actually had a better season than Kimbrell um, hmm. and certainly was better in the postseason right. well, than, than Kimbrell. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that if you were to make him the closer explicitly, I think that he could do the job. Hmm. I, I would have no reservations about giving him the ninth inning. Uh, I just think that they see his usage in a different way. Yeah. Um, in terms of wanting him to face the middle of the opposing order the last time they come through. Sometimes that happens to fall in the eighth inning. Sure. Uh, in, in last year's postseason, Kimbrell was sort of the extra arm who pitched the ninth. It was Barnes who was in a lot of the tight spots early, whether it was the seventh or the eighth inning. Um, if I can have a guy pitch under that kind of pressure, I, I could certainly give him the ninth against, say, six, seven, eight in the opposing order. Um, what I think you're missing, though, is just that one extra piece, mm-hmm. that one extra guy who is going to be a little bit more secure in the ninth inning and, and who will be able to clean it up. Uh, the other night, I think, when Brazier came in, Cleveland might have had eight, nine, one in the order. Uh, I think that's where they were. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you would think that, that a reliever with a three run lead, any reliever 
with a three-run lead, would be able to get out of that. Uh, it blew up in their faces on that particular night, and yeah. you know, obviously leads to a couple days of talk radio speculation and, and some introspection by the Red Sox, honestly. Yeah. Um, you know, but I, I think Barnes is fully capable of handling just about any role that they ask him to fill, and I just think that for right now, they've asked him to take on this sort of uh, the leveragist, as, as Alex Spear of the Boston Globe calls it, <laughs> uh, the guy who is going to face the best opposing hitters as late as possible into the game. Yeah, and that, and that's that's fine. But you know, and you mentioned last year uh, in the playoffs. Let's not forget though, in the in the playoffs. They they moved a starter into the bullpen uh, for for a lot of those high leverage outs, and you're not going to do that in the in the regular season. Obviously, you know you need another right. you need another reliable arm in there. So uh, I'm with you. I, I think they that they do get somebody. Uh, I'm not sure if it'll be the guy that they designate as a closer or not. And I'm I also agree that I think Barnes could do the job, but you know for whatever reason they haven't designated him as the closer. But I just think that all good teams have a closer. You know, I mean, most teams have that guy at the back of the bullpen who says, you know, whose job it is to come and get the last three, maybe four outs. And you know, I think that when you've you've got people, uh, you know, who sometimes pitch the eighth, sometimes pitch the ninth, I just you have to really think about teams who have succeeded doing that. I know there have been some, but that's that's usually not the the traditional route. Uh, so hopefully, they do find somebody who can basically take over the ninth inning. Yeah, I, I think that you know probably the bottom line on this is that, in my mind anyway, mm. the roster is incomplete, and I think that you're going to see something different six or seven weeks from now than what you see as we sit here on May 31st. I, I think they will make an addition or two mm-hmm. at, at some point, and I think if you look at the landscape of the American League and the realities of the standings and the playoff picture there. They do have some time. It is a need, but it's not something where they're going to completely fall out of contention and turn into sellers at the No, time. no, of course it's not. Not I mean, quite to that point. No, sure. I mean, they should at the very least snare one of these two wild card spots. Um, and hopefully, you know, if if they don't uh, they don't lose all three of these games in New York this weekend, that they're they're still in the race for the division. I mean, it, it is still early. We haven't even hit June yet. We're recording this on the uh, on the last day of uh, last day of May. So, uh, but you know, if they wake up on Monday and they're ten and a half games out uh, out of the division and the Rays are are in second place, then I think, uh, as we've said, I think hopes for a division title are uh, pretty pretty uh, pretty meager. So uh, let's right. let, let's let's pivot here and, and look at a couple of other things we want to we want to hit on this week. Uh, one is uh, the sort of surprise press conference that Dustin Pedroia held at Fenway Park on, uh, I think it was Monday, uh, in which he said he's essentially stepping away from baseball. He's been placed on the 60-day IL. And, you know, most of us who are looking at this, at least speaking for myself, uh, probably think that this is the end of the line for Dustin Pedroia. uh, What are your thoughts about that, Bill? There were a couple things said in that press conference that hadn't previously been said, uh, and it had a different mood than some previous occasions where Pedroia had addressed the media. Now, I had the day off. Uh, I think that was on Monday, correct? Correct, yeah, it was the holiday. I had, I had the day off. I was traveling back from Houston, but I mm-hmm. did manage to make it home 
in time uh, to watch the presser, which was carried live uh, on Nesson. Um, there was a question put to Pedroia at one point. I think it was by Ian Brown of MLB.com. He said, uh, you know, Dustin, are you still confident that you're going to be able to come back and, and play baseball? And Pedroia's response was, I'm not sure, which to me is a pretty clear departure from things that he said before, even in the last two weeks, mm. uh, where he said they were working on different orthotics for his cleats and different braces for his knee and you know different forms of treatment, either before games or after games, to try to get him ready. Uh, it seems like a corner has been turned here physically uh, in a negative way for Pedroia. Uh, for him to pull the plug in his rehab assignment, uh, come here to New York with the team with none of his baseball equipment. I uh, saw him last night in the locker room. No cleats in his locker, wow. no glove. He's not going to be working out with the team. Uh, and from here, he's going to go to his Arizona home. And, and I assume he you know, would consult with his wife and, and his three sons uh, and maybe his representatives and you know maybe talk about getting to the point where he's able to say that word retirement which is a significant bridge for any athlete to cross it is the closing of a chapter that has basically identified them to this point sure uh he would say dustin pedroia baseball player that's who he's been for the better part of you could say 30 years you know going back to when he was a kid uh he's never been without the game so i think that you know the other day was sort of the beginning of the realization by Pedroia that this just isn't going to continue and that it can't continue. You know, the uh, it's it's a uh, it's a point that obviously every professional athlete has to come to uh, at some point. Um, for some people, they're they're lucky they sort of get to go out on their own terms, like David Ortiz. For other people, you know, an injury does it. Um, but the uh, you know the unique thing here with Pedroia is that he's still under contract for is it three more seasons? Uh, it's the rest of this year and then two more. And two yeah. more, right? So and and you know obviously in baseball uh, money is guaranteed, so it's it's uh, a lot to uh, consider for Pedroia. Obviously, if if he can't play, he can't play. But if he keeps trying to come back, he's still going to get paid by the Red Sox, and it's not an insig- insignificant amount. So. Uh, you know, I'm sure that's what's you know that that's one of the things that's that's uh, that he's dealing with. I mean, he's probably never going to get paid that kind of money again once he leaves baseball, uh, and he's still a relatively young man. He's 35, I want to say, and uh, you know he's got the rest of his life is, uh, ahead of him. And you know who's who's going to tell you to walk away from what's what's what are the Red Sox still owe Close to 40 million or something like that. Coming into this year, they owed him forty million dollars yeah. uh, over the next three. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, but you know, I, I want to take a minute here because I know that <clears throat> with the emergence of Michael Chavis, I think people are not shedding many tears for for Dustin Pedroia, and, and you know, nor should he. Uh, nor should they. He's 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 been a great player. He's 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 done fine uh, for himself. But um, you know, he really was um, uh, a unique ball player, and I keep saying the word was, and I don't know that he's ever gonna. You know, I'm not sure if he's going to play again or not. But um, you know, he done he has done some things that other great Red Sox players have never done, such as he won the MVP in 2008. I don't think that David Ortiz ever won an MVP. Um, he he was Rookie of the Year the year before. He was a four-time All-Star. Um, you know, in, in a lot of ways, 
Pedroia um, was really the heart and soul of that team for a long time. Uh, and it's 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 tough to see somebody kind of go out the way he's the way he looks like he's going out anyway. Uh, you first off, you are correct. Uh, David Ortiz had, let's see here, five top five finishes for MVP, uh, but never won it. Yeah. Um, close he came was second in two thousand five. Uh, obviously, Ortiz had to pay the the, uh, the, the designated D8, yeah. tax. <laughs> That's there. right, which um, is a pretty hefty tax. Yeah, it's it's it, it would be difficult for him to win in the same way that it was going to be difficult for JD Martinez to win the award last year. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know that that's not taking anything away from the performances by Mookie Betts and, and Mike Trout sure. last season, uh, but there certainly is a, a stigma among the voters associated with with being a DH. Uh, in terms of Pedroia, a guy who came up was a first round pick out of Arizona State, uh, someone whose name was well known. Uh, to Red Sox fans who, who follow minor leaguers and follow the development of prospects. Um, guy who made an immediate impact on a championship team. Um, you know, someone who quickly became a favorite of Terry Francona, who was a manager at the time. Right. Uh, someone who made an immediate impression on the fans with the way he played the game. You know, someone who had significant physical disadvantages, a, a smaller guy, not the fastest guy, not the strongest guy, but still made it work. If you look back at his 2000, you know, it's 2008 season where he was the MVP. Uh, you're talking about a guy with an 869 OPS from the second base position, which you know right now would be a really strong number in terms of the league leaders. 54 doubles that season. Right. Uh, you know, so you're talking about. This little guy who you know, is listed at 5'9", and that's a total lie uh, as someone who's the <laughs> right. next to him. Everyone says the on same thing. Occasions. Right, right, yeah. Uh, you know, it might be 5'6". Yeah. Um, you know, but someone that size who had significant pop in his bat and elite hand-eye coordination, that was his best tool. Mm. Uh, someone who could get the barrel of the bat to the ball against just about any pitcher uh, in just about any circumstance. That was his great skill. Uh, and if you look at his first, you know, maybe seven or eight seasons, you're, you're looking at a guy who was a very consistent hitter, uh, good defensive player, someone who had quick feet and good hands, uh, played the second base position very capably. Um, he was a gold glover four times. Uh, he was a complete player and, and someone who made good on the promise of being a first-round pick and someone who made good on, on the little bit of hype that he had coming up through the system. And you know, someone who you could embrace as, as sort of a commoner, right. a guy who would walk down the street and you would look and you would say, there's no way that guy is an elite athlete. It, it's not possible. He made it possible. Uh, you know, and he made you want to root for him. You've had, you know, some of the, the shine taken off his star here over the last two or three years. You know, as we talked about in the last podcast, the, the beef with the Orioles and Manny Machado right. and, and the sort of confusion there about whether or not he supported his teammates or not. You know, that was an overblown controversy. Uh, the fact that he was really a non-contributor last year to a, a world champion, a, a record-setting, Red Sox team, it makes it a little easier to dismiss him. Uh, and then obviously the emergence of Chavis and, and the continued presence of Brock Holt here. You have replacements at second base for a guy who really hasn't been a good player uh, you know, for a year and a half. He he's, hasn't been on the field. He's played nine games. Right, right. Um, so it's, it's easy in your mind 
to have moved on and to be frustrated with the fact that he can't get on the field and he can't be the player that he once was. But part of this going forward, once he eventually does retire, and and I think that will happen at some point here in the near future, Hmm. part of this has to be appreciation for what he gave this organization and what he gave to you, the fans. So just two quick thoughts here as you as you were speaking uh, that struck me about Pedroia. One is I'll, I'll never forget when I uh, first saw him play and that swing that he took. And I thought to myself, who is this little guy swinging over his head, you know, <laughs> for, for looking like he swings for the fences? And I remember... <clears throat> I think when he first came up, he struggled for a little while. You know, he just he he, uh, he did. Yeah, yeah, and he scuffled, and and I think a lot of people were like, "Oh, this guy isn't ready. He doesn't look at that swing." And and then obviously it didn't take long to to turn around. But certainly not the kind of swing that you would teach a a, a kid in little league. But boy, he made it work for him. It, you know, it's one of those swings where it looked like it was like a really big long swing, but in a way it was quick. He was sort of quick to the ball where it mattered. But when you looked at it, you thought he was just swinging for the fences all the time, didn't you? Yeah, if, if you look back at him, uh, his his first year in 2006, he had a cup of coffee at the end of the season. He yeah. had 191. Right, right. Uh, second year, which was his full rookie season, um, you look at, at where he was at on May 1st that year. He's hitting 172 right. uh, as a rookie uh, on a team that you figured was going to be pretty good. Uh, you know, you're talking... Manny in his prime and David Ortiz, you know, coming into his own at, at that point. Right. Um, you know, a loaded pitching staff, whether it was Schilling or, or Pedro Martinez. Uh, it, actually, Pedro had moved on, but you know, someone like Schilling and Josh Beckett. Beckett, right? Uh, you know, it, it was it was a team that was built to win at that time. I'm, I'm confusing my world champions. <laughs> These are the the luxuries of being a Red Sox fan <laughs> uh, at this point in 2019. They did win. That, the yeah, one title. Yeah, that was the 017. Um, that one. But I, I think that you need to look back at, at the beginning of his career, and, and you need to credit Terry Francona for the patience that he showed with Dustin Pedroia. Uh, it wasn't necessarily something that Xander Bogarts benefited from when he was a rookie. Right, that's right. Uh, they moved. Know, he was moved yeah. quickly yeah. in favor of Stephen Drew, mm. um, you know, which was a, a mistake by John Farrell yeah. in, in hindsight. Um, you know, sort of shows the fact that sometimes when players come up, the situation dictates what kind of player they might become. In, in Pedroia's case, he had the perfect manager in Francona, the type of guy who is a stay-the-course guy, baseball lifer, um, you know, someone who knew that this was elite talent produced by the organization and someone who they wanted to see get a shot over an extended period. Uh, so he was able to settle Pedroia. Alex Cora was on that team. He was also able to groom Pedroia to, to sort of take over from him yep. at second base. Um, and eventually, you know, once May rolled around and got into June, Pedroia took off and never stopped. Uh, you know, and I think that, that that can't be overstated, the fact that, you know, he did get off to a bumpy start in his career and there was good player development machinery in place there at that time, from manager to Theo Epstein in the front office to a clubhouse full of guys who were willing to take in some rookies so long as they could help them win. Well, it's remarkable, uh, as you mentioned, what he ended up uh, doing. He ended up hitting, I believe, 317 that season. He was the rookie of the year. Um, and... Uh, 
you know, obviously on a team that that won the uh, the won the World Series. And <laughs> when you were saying that he looked like a, looked like a commoner, he really looked like a commoner when they they uh, they played the uh, Colorado Rockies uh, at Colorado because uh, <laughs> during the World Series they wouldn't let him in the park. You remember that? That's, that's right. That's right. <laughs> they said, "There's no way you're a baseball player." <laughs> And his That's great right. his great line was ask Jeff Francis. I think I think that was his the the pitcher's name, Jeff right? Francis, who we yeah. who, who uh, hit pretty good. He said, "Yeah, ask Jeff Francis. He knows who I am." So, <laughs> That's right. so That's right. always always uh, had some great lines. So we'll see what happens with Pedroia. I I'm, I tend to be with you. I don't know that he's going to play again, but he boy he really had a a great run. Um, you know, a couple of World Series championships, Gold Gloves, All Star, Rookie of the Year, MVP. Uh, so he will certainly go down as one of the Red Sox greats if, in fact, this is the end uh, for him. So let's uh, so let's wrap up by taking a look at the injury report here. And uh, the Red Sox added another one um, here recently by putting Mitch Moreland on the uh, injury list. Uh, hopefully, not uh, not a severe thing. A back issue probably will be back in the next in, in the next week or two. Um, Hector Velasquez also uh, added to the injury uh, injury list, and uh, obviously Pedroia won't be there for a while. Brian Johnson, I, you know, he he's somebody who could certainly help the Red Sox and help the bullpen. What are we hearing about him? Yeah, uh, he's supposed to make uh, another rehab appearance. I think it's for Portland tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be uh, throwing three innings. Uh, he's scuffled. In in his rehab work, he's had a difficult time. Uh, he's been hit hard, and you know Alex Cora spoke about this the other night. He said that you know Johnson hasn't really been able to find his command. Um, he's a guy with with sort of average stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, not overpowering in any way. Uh, someone who has to work to the edges and, and keep guys off balance. And if that command is, is even a couple ticks off, uh, he's going to struggle against any hitters, whether they be in the majors or in double-A. Uh, you know, so they're looking for some progress from him. Uh, three innings and then uh, three more innings, I think, on Monday, uh, potentially, whether it's for Portland or for Pawtucket. Uh, and then they'll try to make a decision about whether or not to activate him. Uh, they have had some moves. On the pitching staff, whether it's uh, putting Hector Velasquez on the IL with a lower back strain, um, you've had Josh Taylor come up from Pawtucket. He made his major league debut on Wednesday. Uh, with Velasquez going on the IL, they brought they brought up Mike Shawarin, um, who could be a long reliever, could make a spot start. Mm-hmm. At some point, uh, if he was to pitch this weekend in New York, that would also be his major league debut. Uh, so you're really seeing their depth tested here. Uh, you look at Wednesday when Ryan Weber made a second spot start there and, and really got hit hard by Cleveland. If you look back at the depth chart, you know maybe at the start of the year, he's probably your ninth or tenth starter in the organization when, when you consider you know the first five, and that includes Evaldi, mm-hmm. um, Johnson, who's on the I.L., Velasquez, who's on the I.L., Wright, who is suspended. Right. Um, you know, Weber is would have been down in that 9, 10, 11 range. Uh, you know, so for folks who might look and say, well, where's the organizational depth? Where's the guy who they can bring up? You know, why are they so thin in pitching? Um, I would say that they have burned through a fair amount of their depth. It's just on the IL or suspended at this point. Sure. Uh, so uh, speaking of pitching, that they uh, could certainly uh, use some help uh, with its um, 
uh, Nathan Avaldi, who may be rejoining the team here in the next uh, couple of weeks. Uh, what's the uh, what's the progress report on him? He started throwing, right? Yeah, uh, he's going to throw another simulated game here uh, Friday in New York. Uh, you know, the, he's looked really good in his bullpen sessions and in his sim games. Um, you know, this is a guy who, who Alex Cora describes as, as a little bit of a different breed. Uh, you know, for anyone who watched the postseason last year, uh, and that game three against the Dodgers specifically, uh, you would understand the, the sort of mindset that they're dealing with. Uh, <laughs> they're trying to keep Evaldi on the chain. He's like a pit bull who wants to get loose. <laughs> um, <laughs> if it was up to him, he might pitch in this series. Right. Uh, right. You know, but that's obviously not going to happen. They, they want to be a little careful and, and make sure that he has the proper rehab uh, from the arthroscopic surgery on the elbow. Uh, but this is the type of guy who you would expect when he does come back, that there's not going to be much of an adjustment period. Uh, he's going to hit the ground running, uh, you know, and probably be a factor right away. Um, sure. And now speaking of uh, people who are actually pitching, uh, tonight is a pretty good, um, pretty good matchup down there, isn't it? Uh, Chris Sale, uh, J.A. Happ, the last I saw, supposed to take the mound tonight. Uh, that's what it should be. I, I know that the Red Sox push Sale forward. A day, um, you know, he's going to make his scheduled start a day late here yeah. on Friday. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the Yankees announced Hap. I think that's correct. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? What's undetermined, and, and we'll find this out in a couple hours when we meet with Alex Cora, is you know what they're going to do with the rotation for the rest of the weekend. Tomorrow, uh, they yeah. They do have Monday off. Yep. Um, you know, so this could be a spot where they either push all the starters back a day. Uh, or they look to skip Ryan Weber this turn, um, yeah. you know, and just stick with Sale, Rodriguez, Price, and Porcello. Right. Uh, that's that's not in order, but you know, have those four guys go. Um, you know, you're able to do that with, with the off day coming up. Although I know in a couple instances last year when they had off days, they skipped the entire rotation. Um, you know, they gave everyone a day off, right. and they just went with the number five starter. They, they yeah. didn't necessarily skip him. Uh, you know, so we'll find out a little bit more about that in a couple hours. But doesn't it feel like they probably shouldn't be doing that on this weekend? I mean, I know it's only May, but doesn't it feel like you, you're going to want you know your your David Prices or your Porcellos out there? In Yankee yeah, it, Stadium? it would uh, it would affect the Wednesday start, right, which is Kansas which is in Kansas City, right? So. Right. Uh, you know, that would end up being sales turn um, on normal rest. Right. right. Uh, because if he pitches tonight, it would be Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Uh, so he could come back on normal rest in the spot where, you know, you would normally see Weber mm. start. Uh, you know, but I know previously they've, they've given him an extra day. They feel like it keeps him stronger and, and allows him, you know, potentially maybe get in the later part of the season. Uh, you know, but you make a good point circumstances being what they are right now uh might cause a little bit of a different calculus here yeah right i mean i know all games uh you know or all wins uh mean the same but you know when you're when you're playing uh, the first place team in your division and you are trying to keep your hopes for a division title alive you know it seems like you want to put your best effort out there so hopefully that's what the red sox will do now let me ask you uh what's the weather like in uh, in new york today is there any chance of a rain out or is it uh, bright and sunny as it is here in providence no it should be the best day of the four today okay. uh, beautiful sunshine about 75 degrees outside actually uh, you know when i hang up with you 
I'm going to head out toward the ballpark. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and really looking forward to getting outside. It, it's a beautiful late spring day here in Manhattan. Uh, should be a nice night for baseball. And you know, ideally, uh, we're going to have maybe potentially showers and thunderstorms in and out. Yeah. The next couple days, not necessarily as strong as they were on Thursday. Um, so I'm hopeful that they'll be able to get the next two games in in the series. Tonight, there should be no problem. Yeah. Well, Bill, thanks for joining us on this split squad twin bills. Uh, I'm going to refrain from making any more predictions right now because my last one uh, didn't work out so well. They, the, uh, the well, you you were uh, you were half right on the last <laughs> one that you made. Uh, you did well. Yeah, Yankees I had the Yankees place. in first place. I thought the Red Sox would uh, would uh, turn it on and, and overtake uh, Tampa Bay, and in, you did. In, so, in fact, they went the other way. Well, so in terms of predictions, um, <laughs> you would have been three for three. Yeah. But but you doubled down and you put the Red Sox in second place, so you got a little greedy. <laughs> right, I did. Uh, right, got a little greedy, well, and, and you were half right. In the words on the of last one. So in the words still, of Meatloaf, I, I'll give you credit. Right, two out of three I'll ain't give bad. Give you credit. No, no, you had the Yankees in first place. Three out of four. Uh, not only a very good night at the plate, but would also be a pretty good foul shooting percentage. So <laughs> That's right. You've got everything covered. Okay. Well, uh, Bill, again, thanks for for. Uh, for taking the time here uh, this afternoon and we will do this again in a week and hopefully it'll be uh, back in person here in lovely downtown Providence. Uh, actually, it will be. Uh, after Boston goes to Kansas City, they have a homestand coming up yep. after that. Uh, so we will be back in studio at All that right. point. All right. Enjoy New York and we'll uh, talk to you next week. All right. Thanks, Bill.